Hi, hello, and welcome to The Green Room, a podcast ready to take you backstage and up close and personal with some of the most exciting humans in the music, comedy, and film and TV realms. Presented by The Handshake Agency and powered by Yamaha Headphones, I'm your host, Tiana Speeder. Thank you for dropping by today. And here's hoping you're not experiencing a gnarly case of lockdown fever like I have been of late. Thank goodness for podcasts, streaming services, and very understanding friends, am I right? But whether you're in lockdown club or not, let's have a bit of a laugh together today and escape the madness for a moment or two. If you missed out on last week's episode, I had the absolute pleasure of spending some time with Synth Poppers Churches, and more specifically their vocalist Lauren Maybury. Aside from the joy of listening to Lauren's incredible Scottish accent for the duration of our chat, she also gifted some incredible insight into the church's DNA, including her reluctance to be centre of attention, how the band embraced a discarded band name for their brand new album, Screen Violence. And we also ended up bonding over Jimmy Eat World and Whiskey, which is undeniably an instant win for me. But there's some really amazing stories lying in wait in that episode, so give that a crack if you're on a listening binge today. But before you do that, let's dive over into the land of comedy, and more importantly, the absolute deadpan delights that comedian Luke Heggie brings to the table. Starting his career off the back of an impromptu New Year's resolution, Luke Heggie's foray into the world of comedy certainly was not driven by years spent pining to tell jokes on stage. Instead, this Brisbane-turned-Sydney gent has repeatedly just gone with the straight-faced flow, cultivating a cult-like following, touring some of the biggest comedy festivals in Australia and New Zealand, snapping up two ARIA award nominations for Best Comedy Release, and ultimately just bringing his unflinching, harsh-but-fair style to the world. Now currently hosting an insanely funny podcast, Mid-Flight Brawl, alongside fellow funny man Nick Cody, Luke Heggie is currently facing the dreaded holding pattern while lockdown lingers around and puts a pause on touring plans. But before he hits the road again and barrels into 2022, here is the man himself chatting fortuitous New Year's resolutions, his unlikely journey, and the only thing worse than heckling at a comedy show. Okay, well, I have Luke Heggie with me in the green room today. Luke, thank you so much for joining me. And it's lovely to see you've made your background green in honour of being in the green room. Oh, yeah, I thought I'd do the right thing, go and buy a green screen just for the occasion. Oh, look, we'll reimburse you for it or something. I don't know. I've been mucking around with it just now. It's bloody hard to get you. I don't know. I'm not technical, but uh, just fiddling around trying to get it right. Yes, well, look, it's very appreciated and I feel a tad intimidated today because I normally speak to people who are far better musicians than me, but not only are you a comedian, which means you are legally funnier than me, you also are a fellow podcaster. Oh, yeah. Um, Mid-flight brawl has become some staple listening for me. Um, I often wonder why we as humans can't have nice things and then along comes a podcast like this. Yeah. Uh, But it's also the closest experience I've had to getting on a plane in a while. So thank you so much for that. Oh, you're welcome. I'll live to give. No problem. Tell me, you and Nick got to take the podcast on stage earlier this year, but how did this podcast and this program come to life? Was it a COVID creation last year? Uh, Yeah, we kicked off just before COVID came out and became popular. We kicked off and we've been talking about doing something together for a long time, but we just never really had a, like two dickheads talking about nothing. It's been done a lot. So we thought we'd have some sort of hook for us to do exactly that. And we've both been obsessed with plane fights for a long time, just general grubs in the air. 
grubs everywhere. It's good. I like it. Oh, who doesn't love a good grub? That's probably, I mean, it speaks volumes if it's become my favorite podcast. So that's, it's great. It's nice for me. It's nice for the kids. Um, and it is a pretty niche and specific topic, which is apparently a sign of a good podcast as well. So hats off to you. Well done. Oh, thank you. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's going all right. It's good. Yeah. Well, I have to ask, given that it catalogues the greatest air travel incidents, have you yourself ever been involved in or witnessed an air travel incident in your experiences? No, I haven't. They are escalating at a frightening rate. Like we will never, if we we could do the podcast forever because you only do one incident per week. But um, just the chances are, once I'm back on planes, I'll travel a fair bit. I'll see one. Don't worry about it. I want to, you know, have everything ready to record it. But everyone's on the job anyway. They're all recorded. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, they're doing the good work for you. I feel like I've never had an incident. I did have a guy fart himself awake in the row next to me, but oh, that's I mean, good. Yeah, that was that was nice. <laughs> Did he scare himself? He, he like he woke up. You know when you wake up with that stuff, he's like Ugh, and looks around like accusingly, like as if someone else had done it. We're like, yeah. no, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> and I think the only other time I came close, I accidentally the one time I've flown first class. It sounds like a brag, but it's not. I flew first class and ordered a champagne with breakfast, and this old woman looked pretty out of sorts about it. So I came pretty close. Oh, to just, it, to just throwing a glass at her or something. <laughs> Well, Whatever. it didn't It didn't quite get there, but she was quite, I don't know, she was very shocked. I'm like, I want, if I'm in first class, I'm going to get free champagne for breakfast. That's what Absolutely. you do in first To them, class. That's, that's probably a sign that you're not in first class all the time. They just have champagne oh. for breakfast at their houses. They're yeah, that's true. She's got her champagne tap, and I'm just there in my Nikes that are probably like 20 years old and just knock, necking back a few little yeah. short glasses. It must champagne. be quite galling for those types. People used to put on a suit to get on a plane. Now you see grubs in their pyjamas with a neck pillow in the airport. It's, it must be pretty galling to your upper-class types to Look, see I people do. like us on planes. I do feel for them. Like, she was right to be shocked, and fortunately I didn't fart myself away like old mate in the row across me, so at least I'm up on that. Yeah. <laughs> so no incidents for me yet, but, like, obviously branching out from that, you're obviously renowned far beyond the podcast world and what you've been doing. And when I was prepping for this podcast, I Googled your name, and I think it was interesting. The three things that popped up for me, in the old Google when I was doing it, it was Luke Heggie, deadpan, closely yeah. followed by Tip Rat, and then Wife. Oh, so right. it's good to, okay. good to see you've still, <laughs> you've still got it. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't, I didn't make Google. I can't prioritize what they say, but that's pretty, pretty spot on, those three things. Tip Rat yeah. first. Yeah. I, like, <laughs> I think, well, at least. Third. Yeah. I mean, it comes in coming in, you know, just rounding out the trifecta, but your yeah, style yeah. is notoriously poker faced and no nonsense. And, you have taken said poker face to heaps of tours and festivals over the years. But when did this whole Luke Heggie comedian adventure start to cement and solidify and become something you thought you could pursue professionally? I know you've had a heap of jobs in the past. You entered a competition to kind of kickstart all of this. Was there a moment or a turning point when you realised you could charge people to tell jokes? Um, when I saw other people who are absolute bozos charging money i thought oh i might as well charge money see what happens but i don't want to rip people off but i mean i'm still you know doing other jobs here and there it's not it's tough but tougher for musicians but it's not that easy for us either but um it's it's i don't know there was no particular point where i thought all right cool like every year i quit my job every time i buy a new pair of steel cap boots i think that's the last fucking set of them i'm done i will never be in this shop again then about two years later i'm in the shop again buying another pair so I think, oh, I've, I don't want to say I'll never go back to building sites, but every year I say it to myself, but I'm, I'm back now, you know, whatever. 
Yeah, well, it's probably good to have a couple of strings to your bow, I think, as well, especially as you said, like obviously musicians have had it pretty rough, but sort of, you know, the general entertainment sectors. And I guess with your story, like you entered the Triple J comedy comp back in the day and I've read you say comedy is not something you were passionate about. What was it like walking out onto that stage for the very first time? Like was it all a blur or did you actually like freak out, enjoy it? What was the vibe when you first got on there? I didn't enjoy it at all. It was terrifying. Like I'm not the majority of the world. I'm not a born public speaker. I'm not American. Like they just, I, there's a lot of people who are just, you know, born to entertain types who love that. I I still have trouble now sometimes going on. It's quite a surreal, weird thing to be doing, just talking and people sit there listening, sometimes laughing, sometimes not. But it's it, it was very strange for me and still remains that because I'm not a performer naturally. And in that respect, like how was a Luke Heggie set kind of generally received after those first couple of shows? Like have you ever, like were there really hectic heckles? Was there dead silence? Like did you know you were onto something special pretty early on? No, not really. It's anyone who doesn't ever die is not really trying hard enough. Like if you, I, I, I go out and die all the time. Like you go out with new materials. It'd be like uh, playing a song for the first time on stage in front of a couple hundred people. It'd be terrifying. If you'd never ever even done it, may, may have played it once at home before you left. It's that sort of thing. So you're going out with new stuff, you're going to absolutely take one. But um, if you're not doing that, you're not pushing really. But once you, a few years in, I suppose I just stopped giving a shit about dying. I still don't enjoy it. Not a lunatic, but um, I just don't care. It's all part of it now. I think that's the thing. Like it does come with the, you know, with the profession you've selected and. I have to say, like, I've probably only heckled once when I was really drunk and I still feel really bad about it. Still can't remember what it was, but it was clearly not funny because I think I got asked to leave the venue. But All right. what's, the most, what's the most hectic heckle anyone's thrown at you? Uh, I, I don't really go to, I go to a pace that doesn't really invite heckling. I don't get much of it. Whenever I've recorded something, some dickhead who will immortalise themselves and just ruin five minutes of my show. So I've, I've started recording two shows in a night if I'm doing a, like a video or audio recording so to cut that shit out but it's it's rare that it happens to me probably probably silence is the worst for me personally (laughs) it's it's terrible and it really you just got to stand there and take your medicine there's nothing you can do i can't become likable on the spot doesn't work so they hate me at the start it's i've never pulled a gig back gone the other way heaps of times i've never made a bad one better yeah, I think that's a great way to be, though, and I think that probably applies to multiple types of performances. And I guess since those really early days, like pre-COVID, kicking off and busting out with all of us, like you were playing shows nearly every night, you've become an award-winning comedian, you've dominated comedy festivals, you also recently appeared on ABC's Question Everything with Will Anderson and Jen Friend. Yeah. Do you find yourself enjoying those other aspects of the whole entertainment industry, like the TV appearances and taking it beyond the stand-up circuit or are you a purist and you just love getting on stage and telling these deadpan jokes? Uh, I mean, ideally, I would just be a live stand-up because you cop enough shit anyway, but I don't, I don't want to be anything else. The other stuff's just to drag more people into your live stand-up shows eventually. Even podcasting, I was afraid of taking too much time away from stand-up to do that, but it's really enjoyable and people do. It definitely has worked. People come along uh, who are podcast listeners and maybe – TV watches and stuff, but I'm not traditionally a TV panelist or anything. I'm not really that well suited to it. 
Um, but it was nice. To, they were really nice. Will and Jan and, and the other crew were great to have me on there. And uh, that's sign of the times because I think they've just literally run out of new talent. <laughs> going back to bozos like me, give this old bloke a chance sort of thing. Well, I think, I don't know if it was on that or something else I read that was like up and coming comedian. And I'm like, I, I don't know if that's correct. Yeah. I didn't know whether to be insulted or not when I heard that as well. <laughs> so, all right. Fair enough. I mean, I haven't been on anything. So technically, yes, and I'll, <laughs> I'll spend my whole life with most people not knowing who I am. I don't care. But up and coming, bit of a stretch over a decade <laughs> for me. Maybe that could be the name of your show, like in 10 years' time, just make it Lukey up and coming. Up and coming, yeah. No one would notice, I don't think. <laughs> People around me would notice, but others would be like, oh, this must be the new guy. So yeah. it's, this new it's guy's easy. all right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I did like at the start of that question everything. I said actually the Dutch taping on planes bit at the start felt way too perfect for your involvement on the show. Did you have a hand in that at all or was that purely no. coincidental? I mean, that was coincidental. That's just such a great video that dude made. Everyone watched it. And uh, no, that was spot on, though. I mean, I mean, when I first saw that little thing, I thought, this is great, this flight attendant. But then, you know, 20 seconds in, after I'd sort of run it past Nick, I thought, oh, you've got to get onto this. I didn't even watch the whole thing. But he goes, no, it's a YouTuber. Oh, okay, of course it is. He's too good. <laughs> well, the other thing they did mention, um, they dropped this little tidbit that you played the mandolin at the start too. It was very casually brushed over for me. Yeah. Please yeah. tell me you're secretly part of some underground mandolin metal folk band that we don't know about. No, I'm not part of any band. I, I just tinker a little bit. I, I, I like to play it, but I, I don't really get a chance, especially with homeschooling. It's pretty much out the window. But even, even without that, I used to go and have to sit in the car at night and play like when the kids were little i'd be in a, it's stinking hot in a car too in summer you only last 10 minutes but on the street it's uh pretty sad a man trying to practice something an instrument in the car so i don't i don't really play much at all whenever i pick it up my name gets yelled as well so don't get much of a chance to do it i secretly want to just walk past someone in a car now just playing the mandolin in the dark like yeah. is that sad that that's not like a life goal for me you, you do get some weird looks like i <laughs> People, pedestrians walking past, I kind of stopped so I don't scare them. But that scares them more because I'm just completely silent watching them walk past. And it's <laughs> just a bit of casual, awkward staring between strangers. It like, is, yeah. <laughs> I haven't had the filth called on me or anything, but um, yeah. it's definitely a weird one to look at. Yeah, early days. Well, maybe when we do the Luke Heggie up-and-coming show in 10 years, you'll have some more stories in that realm that we can add to the side. Yeah, all right. See how it goes. Stick around after this very short break as Luke Heggie chats kids and comedy Pet peeves, plus what's he got planned once lockdown buggers off? More after this. Steve Bell here. I present the Handshake Agency podcast Rewind. Each series takes you back to a moment of musical heritage as we present oral histories about great albums of our time from the people who made them. If, like me, you have a geek-like curiosity about your favourite artists, track down Rewind with Steve Bell at thepodcast.com.au, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favourite shows. You are a family man, you're a dad, and you're juggling all these shenanigans alongside all of that. Do your kids do the typical kid thing and not laugh at your jokes? Oh, yeah. They've, I mean, I, I don't really bring my work home with me. I, I, I write a lot and then do stand-up. They, they come to shows every now and then and uh, have a pretty good night out, but um, rarely. 
and they've never seen me absolutely die, which is nice. But I only take them to good, like the comedy store in Sydney. It's it's a great place, or like a big theatre if I'm on there as part of a show, they'll come to that. But no, they don't really particularly think I'm funny around the house. No one, no one thinks their dad's funny, do they? Once they're once they're past about five, you cease being funny. You're an idiot. I was out to breakfast. The most horrendous thing happened to a mate of mine. Like we we're all sitting at a table and. This guy told a joke. His kid was sitting next to him and either some people didn't hear it or it just didn't land. So he gave it another crack. Like he tried to land the joke again later. The kid oh. just stops and looks at him and said, you already said that, Dad, and it wasn't funny. And I was just like. That's, like, yeah, that's brutal. Never repeat one. Little tip from the top, never repeat one. Just go, don't worry about it. If it doesn't land, you don't know if it didn't land or they didn't hear it. Just go, no, you weren't listening. Tough luck. It was brilliant. Not doing it again. Especially if there are children in attendance, that absolutely destroys me. I still think about it a lot to this day. So it's yeah, it's been a real life lesson, and I'm glad yeah. you're proved. <laughs> I think uh, yeah, I think the kid the kid parent dynamics change too. Like you wouldn't when I was a kid, you wouldn't dare tell your dad he wasn't funny, or you wouldn't start a sentence with "oi." Like oh, I hear some kids talk to their parents now. That's all changed. But now kids can much younger than they used to just tell their parents they're dickheads and they're not funny. So it's a, it's a bit of a land landmine. Yes, a sign of the times. And I think I, I've enjoyed a lot of your more kid-centric comedy. I think the thing with the kids' names, like Tomothy and all of that, like oh, genuinely yeah. got me very good. I always enjoy a, like, you know, a mic being short for bicycle or whatever, my, bicycle or whatever it is. So that's tickled yeah. me quite well. But is there anything off limits in terms of material for you? Is there anything you won't touch topic-wise or is anything fair game? I, I think anything's fair game. Obviously, some things are harder than others. You've got to write very well to talk about some things and try to make it indefensible. But I've, it's another one of those things that I've stopped worrying about. Like I say, some things that are pretty indefensible and hope that people get it, that I might not be serious. But then there's always going to be someone there who's a fucking idiot. So. You don't know. Like there's people complain about the the most the weird things that people will complain about. You think, oh, there's no way I would have thought to complain about that. But that's what they'll complain about. And they'll find you and they'll tell you. And <laughs> and if it's if it's been on TV, like live, I feel a bit bad because I have charged money. But if it's like stand up on TV or something, you think, what are these? How many people are tied to their chairs with their eyes being forced open here? That's that's the first problem. They can't possibly just turn it off. Mm. Well, it's like it's becoming a pastime for some people just to be like waiting to be offended, I think, with certain things too. And like you said, it's, you know, go on Netflix or go on. There's plenty of other things to be watching, kids. Oh, yeah, for sure. But, you know, <laughs> I don't know. It has become a thing. Like you're quite accessible. People did used to have to like send a letter to complain, which is why I brought in my $1 complaints form on my website. But, um, most of that was friendly fire. Most most actual complainers stumbled at the first hurdle of having to pay a dollar to tell me how much they hate me. So it uh, it helped in that respect, definitely. That's brilliant. Well, it's a good use of that. And I was actually talking, I had some of the Auntie Donna boys wreaking havoc on with me yeah. a couple of weeks back and we were kind of chatting about how it's a little bit different when you're a comedian. Obviously, it involves a lot of things with musicians and actors as well, but do you have people with the whole parasocial relationship thing who think they know you because they've seen like all your stand up and like come up and talk to you as if they know you? Like, are you dealing with that kind of blurring of the lines these 
days? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure the Donner boys have a bigger problem with fans and stuff. I, it's not exactly rock and roll, though. Like most most people who speak to me after a show are snotty 20-year-old boys who want to be comedians. So they're quite friendly. They just stink. Um, no, it's just sort of – it's it's – not like a fan thing I, I stand around and have a drink after a show and talk to people it's fine generally complainers only last 10 seconds and then leave and everyone else is pretty friendly on the whole great but um yeah. familiarity is not something that bothers me too much i've got nothing really to hide nice i think that's a good way to be and one thing I do know about you is that you are a Queenslander and you've obviously become a bit of a hometown hero off your way with all the successes. I am actually a Queenslander myself, but oh, I, um, mistakenly, I mistakenly moved to Sydney, um, so it's a bit of a mixed bag. But um, yeah. I know there's been a lot of stuff kind of happening over the years in terms of everything in Brisbane, but what's the vibe like with the Brisbane comedy community at the moment? Like, are you finding, like, do you get involved with much happening at the local level right now? Well, I'm actually, I'm in Sydney. I live in Sydney, but um, I'm from there and I go up there a fair bit. So people mistake that I still live there, but my mum's there and I've got family there. So I head up. The scene's brilliant. There's a really good, vibrant young scene up there. There's these boys called uh, the Good Chat Comedy Boys and they're running four or five nights of comedy a week in a little pub. So it's great. Um, last year we went up there and stayed for like a month during during Sydney lockdown. So got out this year. We didn't get out in time. So stuck in Sydney, but um, the scene up there is brilliant. It's really good. Yeah. It's been exciting to see. And I've noticed like even at places like the powerhouse, like they're really, really embracing. And it's been really exciting to see just that get really get behind the locals and really get more of that underground stuff, less underground, so to speak. So that's yeah. exciting. Yeah, they do. They're pretty good. I mean, I've, I've been lucky enough to go to the Brisbane comedy festival a bunch of times, missed it this year because of Sydney lockdown just recently, but um. That, that's a great festival. Powerhouse is excellent. People turn up, good shows, great crowds, not too precious. The wokeness hasn't travelled quite that far north yet. It might get yeah. there. I don't know. Oh, if they keep that border slammed, it might filter through, but yeah. hopefully it'll be a bit slower. <laughs> yeah. Now, I know your latest show, Low Breed, takes aim at the worst society has to offer and we get a whole hour of things you found annoying since your last show, I believe. Mm. To ask a very broad question in that respect, then what is your biggest pet peeve? What is Luke Heggie's biggest pet peeve other than broad interview questions like this? Oh, man. Oh, this, I mean, there's a lot, just mm. little nitpicky things, obviously, that we all have. We want to get violent over just in everyday life, but um, probably voluntary victimhood or just uh, people saying they're great people on the internet, just pointing out that they're a good person when we all know we aren't. So grow up, probably that. If I had to put it into one thing, that'd be it. I like that one. That kind of tees in with my mind's the fake apology. I think it's just the whole, I'm sorry if you were offended, even though I called you a dickhead. Like that's on you, how you reacted to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like they go hand in hand. It's a nice combination. But um, given when I know you can't perform at the moment, obviously with everything going on, you're stuck in lockdown, but you have performed at the Sydney Opera House like we mentioned earlier, you have been on TV shows, you've been on The Project, you've been nominated for two ARIA Awards. And mm. I believe all of this started as a result of a New Year's resolution. Is yeah. that correct that this all kicked off? Have you started working on a 2022 New Year's resolution given we may as well just throw in the towel, put up the Christmas tree and bring on 2022? 
No, absolutely not. I gave up on resolutions. It's uh, yeah. It's I mean, it's there's nothing we can do. Just take it as it comes. I'm just trying to. I mean, it'd be nice to get back on stages, obviously, but we're probably months off that in Sydney. Um, no, no real resolution. Just keep punching on. Get off the tools. That'd be a good one. But that's nearly out of my hands anyway. So mm. whatever. Well, hopefully you might be able to do one of the last buying of the steel cut boots again, and that might be the kickstart to a good 2022. I'm on them. They're half worn out. (laughs) Hopefully this is the last set. They'll be gone by February. Brilliant. Well, to close us out today, before I let you get on with your day in lockdown land, um, given I have brought you on the green room today and hopefully you can get back to touring like a banshee in the not so distant future what is one essential item you'll be demanding backstage at one of your live shows in the upcoming future oh I mean I, it shows you don't interview that many comedians because you make a demand they'll tell you you're never ever allowed back there it's not, <laughs> you caught me you got yeah, me <laughs> it's, it's not Metallica you can't say <laughs> I want this and that but probably just two cans of beer do me and a comfy mm-hmm. chair and that's all right. I think that's pretty achievable. I'm quite into that. And I think, you know, you never know, maybe you can bring your mandolin with you and just do a little bit of ambient backstage music yeah. and just really set up the vibe for us all. <laughs> I don't know about <laughs> no, that. No, I'm totally not telling you what to do. I'm just saying if it's not there, I'll be a little bit upset. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. I'll bring it if I ever see you, but you'll have to play it. So I'm terrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's hoping that the lockdown might gift a little bit more material for you to, you know, scoop into your next show. And hopefully there'll be a few more plain antics for you to add into your podcast. And God knows what else we'll be having from you in the near future. But I hope that the next time I talk to you, the steel boots will be well and truly hung up and you'll be back on stage making us all laugh and hopefully not sit in silence during one of your sets. Yeah, we'll see. We'll be back. <laughs> Thanks very much for having me. No, likewise. Thank you for the chat. No problems. Cheers, Tiana. See ya. Have a good one. Bye. A huge thank you to Mr. Luke Heggie for joining me on The Green Room today. And if you do want to grab more of his amazingly dry hilarity into your life, I can't recommend a listen to his podcast Mid-Flight Brawl more highly, especially if you're having a bit of a rough day. And definitely keep your ears and eyes out for more news in the world of Luke Heggie post-lockdown. I can't guarantee his next show will have a mandolin segment, but regardless, it'll definitely be something you will not want to miss. If you're in the podcast way and you've got a spare minute or two in your day, that was an accidental rhyme. Um, Reviews, subscribes and or telling your weird neighbour about the green room is always encouraged and appreciated. And if you want to watch me and my guests chatting away in a video setting, you can even watch full episodes of The Green Room over at YouTube just search The Green Room with Tiana Speeder and come hang out. To catch up on all previous episodes or perhaps to even discover a few new podcasts on the Handshake Agency, head on over to thepodcast.com.au and catch up. Otherwise, you know the drill. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and a bunch of podcast usual suspects. If you've made it this far, I would love to say I have some form of witty joke to close out on and make your day but I'm actually just trying to distract myself from the fact it's lunchtime and my stomach is rumbling and it may start to be audible via my microphone. So I'll end it here for all our sakes, but thank you for joining me. Have a brilliant day and let's hang out again next week.
The Green Room with Tiana Spita is a podcast from the Handshake Agency Network, produced by Tiana Spita and Andrew Mast, with Pharrell D'Souza and Henry Gibson providing research. Recorded and engineered by Zig Parker, executive producer Craig Trewick.